Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Radio. I'm Max Reaper, the editor of Royals Review. Uh, we took some time off, I think, just to kind of get the uh, coronavirus pandemic under us, uh, and also kind of, I think, to get kind of our personal lives in order a little bit. And I think we wanted to get a chance to, to maybe digest what was going on. Frankly, there wasn't a lot of baseball news anyway. Uh, but we're back, and, and joining me as usual is Sean Newkirk. Sean, how are you holding up under uh, quarantine right now? Good, good. Not quite uh, like Howard Hughes level of like you know <laughs> quarantine, but. I'm I'm doing all right. It's 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 gone. I, I'm actually getting through my Netflix queue, which I wasn't expecting. Yeah. I mean, like I'm making some good progress there. <laughs> also joining us is Alex Duvall, who writes at Royals Farm Report, Prospects 1500, and occasionally Royals Review. Alex, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing well, Max. Thanks for having me on. I was uh, telling you guys before we started recording that I gave myself my first quarantine haircut today. So <laughs> um, between my wife and I, we did a pretty bang up job, but. You know, it's those little luxuries in life, like the barber shop, that I've become to appreciate more under this quarantine. I, I kind of want to see a picture of that now, so I see how it went. Uh, and I'm sure I'm going to be going through the same thing pretty soon. Uh, I know you're a teacher. Like, how's the uh, online learning going? Have you guys started that yet? Yeah, we have. And so, actually, for my district specifically, we were on spring break right before they, you know, canceled school. So. The district did a great job of, of putting some stuff together for the kids so our, we could enjoy our spring break. And this week we're back to, you know, trying to be as normal as possible without seeing the kids. So it's been challenging, but um, everybody's adapted to it pretty well, like I think a lot of society's <laughs> trying to do right now. So uh, it's been challenging, but it's been really interesting as well. You know, I think the good thing is, too, like every, we're all kind of in the same boat. So I think everyone's kind of understanding right now. And so. You know, I don't expect my kids to be learning like as much as they would if they were actually at the school. But I think anything, any little thing they can get is good. And they got a little bit of interaction with their teachers today, which I think was great. So, uh, yeah, we're all kind of doing the best we can and trying to adjust to to uh, our world's being turned upside down. And speaking of that, you know, baseball got its world turned up to upside down as well. Of course, they suspended spring training and pushed back the start of the regular season right now. It's, just, it's pushed back to at least mid-May. I think people expect it to probably start well after that as well. Uh, but there were some issues to kind of figure out, uh, pushing back the schedule. And Jeff Passan has, at ESPN had a really good article last week kind of detailing uh, the agreement that the owners got, came uh, to a deal with the, uh, the players' union about some of those issues. Um, and some of the things he writes about uh, that the league is looking to – they're aiming for spring training to kind of start mid-May – uh, with possibly starting the season in June. Uh, there's a possibility of, of maybe no, no fans, although I think they, their preference would be to have fans. 
They're planning on having a lot of doubleheaders this year. They're planning on extending the season into October, and they're entertaining the thought of having a warm weather, neutral site uh, uh, World Series, or perhaps even uh, much of the playoffs uh, in warmer climates. Um, they did forward an advance of $170 million to the players for the next two months to make sure that they get paid. Uh, there'll be four classes of players, uh, and uh, those veterans with guaranteed contracts, it sounds like they'll get priority. Uh, they amended the schedule for determining arbitration eligibility, and I think the big one was that they're going to push back the draft to July, and they, at the discretion of the commissioner, they have the uh, option to shorten the draft to as little as five rounds, or as few as five rounds. They also have the uh, option to shorten the 2021 draft to 20 rounds, and they can delay both the 2020 and 2021 international signing periods. So that's kind of a lot to take in, Alex. I, I think the big thing, though, is the, the draft. I know you, you you focus a lot on the drafts and prospects. What do you kind of what kind of struck you with with some of the uh, changes or some of the, I guess, exigent circumstances and then changes and adjustments they made uh, for the season when it comes to the draft? Yeah, one thing that is going to be really interesting to see is how the a shortened draft would affect minor league r- rosters. And if you think like. Um, the Burlington Royals, who almost won the Appalachian League last summer, they were full of former college kids that were drafted that year by the Royals. Um, and we know that Major League Baseball has kind of been hunting down minor league baseball teams. And they were you know, proposed to cut 42 of them from minor league baseball. So I don't wonder if this is kind of something that will, you know, a shortened draft will lead to fewer minor league teams in existence this year, which is another excuse to cut them next year. Um, but you know, the, the biggest concern on my end that one, the thing I can't stop thinking about is how this affects those minor league teams that, you know, rely on the draft every year, um, to get those college kids in, to get the new high school kids in. And even really, you mentioned that, you know, the international period could be delayed international signing period. Um, some of those kids too. And so, um, the ripple effects that that has, um, could be catastrophic for some of these minor league communities. Um, I'm kind of worried about how that plays out, especially like we've talked about with the um, potential axing of 42 teams even before the draft was going to be theoretically cut short. But, um, you know, that's my biggest concern. And the Royals, as it pertains to the Kansas City Royals, the way the rebuild's going is, you know, you got the number four overall pick and it's really important to hit on all these. And now you're going to miss out an entire spring of scouting. So, um, you know, this is, it came at a pretty bad time for the Royals specifically as they're, you know, set to potentially lose the Lexington Legends, Burlington Royals, and the Idaho Falls Chuckers. So um, things could be, you know, incredibly different uh, this time next year for not just baseball, but for the Royals specifically. Yeah, and I get that, you know, a lot of high school, I mean, pretty much every high school and college team is not going to be playing this spring. Scouts have been called back, so you're not getting a chance to evaluate anyone. And it doesn't make sense to have 40 rounds of a draft of players you don't know. You have no idea if they're good or not. So I get shortening the draft, but it does kind of feel like baseball is using this as an opportunity to do something they've wanted to do for the last year, and that is cut down the number of minor leaguers that they're paying. Uh, And also probably cut some costs when it comes to the draft as well. Uh, You know, they'll have five rounds. And most of the draft bonuses, sure, they go to the first five rounds. I think Baseball America says 75 percent of the of the bonuses go to the first five rounds but there's, there's still some savings later on and under this scenario anyone that's not drafted would be capped at a twenty thousand dollar bonus according to baseball america and so you're, you're talking about a lot of savings there as well and so i, I feel like they're the baseball's kind of taking advantage of the opportunity and when you talk about the royals too 
uh, I think this has a potential to be really uh, troublesome for them because, you know, when it's come to the draft, you know, they, they back in the old days, they had the ability to kind of rebuild by overpaying a little bit in the draft or going, you know, being aggressive in bonuses, getting guys like Will Myers uh, by, by being able to outspend a little bit. Now, now there are draft bonus pools, so it's a little harder to do that, but that still benefits the teams that have been bad, like the Royals. And I think the Royals had, what, the second or third, I think the third highest bonus pool going into this draft, which now isn't necessarily quite as, as important because uh, you can't, you know, find someone in the eighth round uh, and overpay them uh, because of their, you know, because they fell because of uh, signability reasons. You don't have the advantage of doing that. So they're kind of limited to these five rounds. And, and Sean, I, I, you know, to me, I think this is, I think baseball's heading the wrong direction in, when, in limiting these, in these amateur players. Uh, but we also know that baseball has uh, a labor negotiation next year. I mean, some of these things, it seems like they, they could be permanent solutions for, for baseball. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I hate to say that <clears throat> uh, the coronavirus is convenient, but I mean, for MLB, I mean, it kind of isn't, right? Because they're trying to, they've been trying to shrink the minor leagues stupidly, I think, in my opinion. And I think in many of our opinions, too. Um, and this gives them an excuse to kind of <clears throat> follow that. And uh, we talked a bit about how um, they're still getting paid. They're, making and we'll, we can talk about this later as well i think we have coming up but how they're still getting paid a bit which is great but it, you know they might completely eliminate some levels um and yeah and i mean as you and alex had mentioned i mean the shrinking of the draft is going to hurt players that typically would sign i i had mentioned on twitter the other day about how we're not going to have an andrew benatendi essentially uh he's going to go back to school and you know he if if his destiny is his destiny, he'll still be the next Andrew Benatendi or whatever you want to call a guy who rises up with a really strong. Um, well, he was a sophomore eligible, but it rises up in the year of his draft. You know, his first draft eligibility eligibility in college. Um, we're probably not going to have that. Actually, we can't have that. Um, that that player is going to move. Is going to likely go back to college. Um, so it just kind of kind of I wouldn't say it ruins this draft, but it's. It stinks that the Royals have um, a decent pick, obviously, this year. And it's like they're not in jeopardy really as much as the top, but a lot of that value that you might have get in the second and third and fourth round um, just might not happen uh, just because of how compressed the draft is and how guys uh, might find themselves with a better performance next spring to move up. So I don't know. Uh, I hate this idea of the shrinking of the draft and everything that's happened. It just uh, stinks. What, what can we say other than that? Alex, it seems like the Royals have been kind of relying more on college guys in the last two drafts, at least. Uh, does this, I mean, does this kind of ensure that they'll go for a college guy in this draft? I mean, they, you know, we, we, we first of all, we didn't get to see a lot of high school guys, and it seems like your ability to go out and spend a lot of high school guys maybe is mitigated a bit. I mean, how, how do you see the Royals maybe attacking the draft with, with these new rules in place? Well, my initial reaction was that it almost guarantees that they'll go college player uh, with the number four overall pick. And, you know, I have been over at Royals Farm Report up until all of this went down, kind of on the Zach Veen. Zach Veen is a high school outfielder from Florida. Um, you know, I've been really high on him, thought he'd be a great fit for Kansas City at number four, despite that there was already some college guys there. And I don't think there's any way now um, that Zach Veen is drafted by the Royals at number four because, A, you missed out on three months, four months of scouting him. And, B, with the college players the, now, the NCAA announced today that they're going to give spring sports an extra year of eligibility. I have no idea how to how to know how that's going to affect the draft. 
because you're going to have some seniors that are, you know, kind of the emotional leaders of their team, but maybe not the best player. They're going to get pushed out by better players. You're going to have high school kids that are going to miss out on scholarships that are maybe more likely to sign to the pro team. You know, it's just, it is so wild the number of ways this could affect the draft that I think the Royals, I think you're better off taking a a college player and just kind of, you know, playing it safe for the year um, because you don't know how it's going to affect them. But you take a guy like Nick Gonzalez, who is potentially there for the Royals at number four, or maybe it's a guy like Emerson Hancock, who's, who's lower on boards now than he was this time last year. Um, You know, going back to school for somebody as the number seven pick, they're going to have two years of eligibility left, and so they're going to have the same signing leverage as what a draft-eligible sophomore normally would. Um, And so it's just you never know who's going to sign or what they might decide to do. Um, And that is kind of the nice thing about the number four overall pick. You can pay them enough money that it may not matter, but um, it it is going to be wild, and I do think that this all of this draft adjustment is going to guarantee the Royals go college, maybe with all 5, 10, 15, whatever picks they get. Yeah, and it, it, it seems like, you know, this is a negotiation in, between Tony Clark, who runs the, the Players Union, and Rob Manfred, who kind of represents the owners. And the players, I think what they were really looking to get uh, was they wanted the, that money advanced, the $170 million. But they also wanted to ensure that if the season's not played at all, that players will still get their service time and so a guy like Mookie Betts who has still not technically played a game with the Dodgers can still become a free agent at the end of the year like he was planning to do even if there's not a season played and the, and the owners just said okay that's fine we'll grant that your service time but to do that it seems like they really threw the amateur players under the bus Sean and I wonder uh, you know with negotiations for a new bar- collective bargaining agreement coming up in the next year it, it, it seems like the union's really still not up to snuff when it comes to negotiating with the with the yeah. owners, and it seems like they're just giving away too much. Yeah, they got smoked on the deal. Um, the I don't know how it would logistically work, and if you guys know, uh, you know, please chime in. But they got smoked on the. I feel like the what do they get? One hundred seventy million dollars or something up front in exchange for not paying whatever the prorated amount would have been until um, baseball started, just in case, just to kind of hedge against there not being a season. I mean, that's like billions of dollars. They, I wouldn't say they gave it away because, I, again, I'm not sure if they would have gotten paid for that anyways or not or what they would have done. But, I mean, like, on one hand, it was supposed to be uh, several billion. And then on the other hand, they got $170 million. Uh, so it's like, man, what's that's not even close. So, yeah, I mean, they're kind of just getting beat all around. And then, of course, as we mentioned, zero protection for amateur players. And uh, it's nice to get the service year. Like, if baseball wasn't played, which it will be, but if baseball isn't played this year, uh, it was nice that everybody still got their year of service time or matching whatever they had last year. But, again, sucks for the people who got screwed uh, out of service time last year because now they're going to get one more year. They're kind of screwed again if it matches last year. So. I did mention that the baseball is looking to kind of come back around June, and I, I'm sure that's flexible right now because no one really knows when we're going to start returning to some kind of semblance of normalcy. Uh, but when do we, you guys expect baseball to be played? I mean, I know in Japan and Korea they're playing games, but uh, they're not playing without, you know, it's still spring training and they're, they're not playing with any fans, and a couple of Japanese players were uh, confirmed to have the coronavirus. Um, 
And I know that the, the basketball leagues in Korea, they were planning to come back in April, but they've kind of said, oh, hold, hold on, well, let's, not, let's not rush things back. Uh, Alex, do you have any kind of sense on, you know, if you had to predict, what, what would you say we, we see uh, when we see baseball next? I have no clue, and I don't want to pretend like I know. But um, one thing that does is it's kind of interesting. You know, the was it the governor of Virginia today yeah. that said he that they they extended the quarantine to like June tenth, yeah. which makes me think that you know that, that I don't think that's really what their intention is. I think they're probably dealing with a population that isn't listening to the quarantines that are already in place, and they're trying to you know get them to get them to uh, comply. But the fact that they're even people are even thinking about that, that governments have even considered that an option makes me think that maybe this is going to take longer than we thought originally. Even if, even if like the virus isn't affecting the normal population at a huge rate by June, that maybe July 1st would be the earliest we see regular season baseball. Um, Cause you think it's going to take what, at least three weeks to get these guys back in shape like for a spring training, right? Mm-hmm. I can't imagine it's less than three weeks. So even if even if we're ready to roll for spring training by June 1st, it's going to be end of June, early July, before I think we see regular season baseball, if I had to take a conservative estimate. Yeah, there was a, a good article, I think, at The Atlantic this week, kind of laying out a different couple different scenarios of how this could, could play out. And I think you know the most optic, optimistic one, I think, was the most unrealistic, and that is just, this just kind of putters out at the beginning of the summer and, and we never hear from it again, which would be great. And now I think baseball would come back probably in early June at that point. But I think the more likely scenario is that, you know, we probably hopefully get mass testing at some point where we're able, able to isolate people that are positive for it. But even under that scenario, you're probably talking about not having any mass gatherings still throughout the summer. And in that case, I, I can see baseball coming back, but with no fans and I don't know what they do at that point if they decide to go ahead and play it. You know, they still can make money, obviously, off the TV deals. Um, but uh, it would certainly make for a very weird atmosphere. Um, and, you know, and if they, baseball does come back this summer, like you said, it's going to be about probably about three weeks of spring training. That's, I remember in 1995 when they had the work stoppage and they, they wanted to rush into the season. They, they had three weeks of a kind of an abbreviated spring training at the beginning of that year. Uh, and even then they had a kind of, you know, ease back into baseball um so under you know once baseball does come back if they do come back this year uh you're probably gonna see a lot of changes sean you know i imagine first of all bob nightingale was reporting that they're probably going to have expanded rosters to 29 uh but how else do you how else do you see the the game maybe being different this year Uh, i know uh some people like dan zaborski was talking about you know stats are going to be really weird this year because of the short season uh how do you see this kind of affecting how teams strategize for maybe a shorter season and also with an abbreviated uh, spring training. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Like you would think, so you would think that like if the season is shorter, right. And there is a, say there is some sort of an all-star break, which I I don't know if there will be, but say there is sort of, well, there'll be a trade deadline is what I meant to say. Um, You're going to give up less, right? Because you're going to get 81 games. If you trade them on the the very last day of the trade trade deadline, you're going to get 81 games. Now you're going to get, what, 40-ish games? And, you know, parationally, it's the same. The idea is to have trade a guy and, you know, have him be good in the playoffs. But you're still having a smaller impact on what you're getting. So, I mean, maybe we see trade values lower. Um, Well, I also imagine there's going to be a lot of 
the buyers and not many sellers because yeah, oh yeah, season, there's right. not gonna be there's gonna be more teams that are yeah. still in the hunt, and they're also talking about ex- possibly expanding the playoffs this year. Uh, yeah. So you know, I don't know if that yeah. makes you know maybe that lifts some of the some of the uh, value a little bit because there's a little yeah. bit of a demand or a little bit less of a supply, but but yeah, yeah they'll have to push the trade deadline back, I would think. Yeah, yeah, and I was, but I was thinking whatever they call the halfway point of it yeah. of the season. Um, there is a oh gosh, oh there's a Fangraphs article. I think it uses Zips projections that said in a I forget how many short games it is. Maybe it's eighty. Um, the Royals have like a fifteen percent playoff odd chance or something, as opposed to one hundred and sixty-two, which is effectively zero. Um, so yeah, I mean the variance in short series are extremely wild. Um, so, I mean, yeah, you could definitely see more buyers and it makes more sense now. I mean, really, I mean, I wouldn't expect the Royals to be buyers, but I mean, there could be those fringy teams, um, like the, maybe the White Sox end up there, you know, be big buyers, even though they were, you know, had a good off season. But yeah, I mean, I definitely, I'm with you there. It's, it's just weird, you know, and I, I didn't really follow baseball in 94. Um, and maybe you were a little bit more than I, I mean, I was five at the time, but, uh, you know, what was the was there anything weird about that 94 season? I, you know, if you were young enough or old enough to remember, I should say. Well, yeah, the 94 season was when you were we, still a little. Yeah, you yeah. Was, I was a teenager. So, yeah, you you saw that was kind of the beginning of the juice ball era. So you saw a lot of you saw two players making a run at 61 home runs in a season, which was a record at that time. Uh, you saw Tony Gwynn was making a chase of 400 in 1994. So there was there was some of I think but a lot of that I think was just kind of the the stadiums the the performance enhancing drugs making their way into baseball probably uh, uh, you know a lack of pitching in the league at the time um, so there was some weirdness in that respect uh, but I'm also wondering you know like in a shortened season you you know you can see a guy in a typical year you can see a guy have like three good months and everyone's like oh this guy's pretty good and it's some like random dude. And like he has a bad second half, kind of regresses back to the mean, and you're like, okay, well that's that's about what we expected. Well, he's not going to have that second half to regress necessarily if it's like an 80 game schedule. So you could see a couple guys just kind of come out of the woodwork with really good seasons, and you're like, oh, okay, is, should we believe that, or is that enough of a sample size to really buy into him, or you know, so which that could also affect like arbitration numbers, that could affect free agent contracts. Uh, so that I think that could have a big, um, big difference. Yeah, they did say they were going to edit arbitration stuff, right? Okay. I mean, you're right. As far as it, it yeah. still could that variance, right? If a guy is right. in an in an 81 game season, if you have a bad two three weeks, I mean, that's that's double the amount, obviously, that it was in 162 game season. But yeah, I think they did at least, thankfully, say like, okay, we're going to prorate or do whatever when it comes to arbitration because obviously. 40 home runs is going to be a really, really tall task. It's it's a, be amazing as opposed to previously, you know, yeah. with shorter season. Well, I'm also wondering, too, how it's going to, going to affect pitching because when you have an abbreviated spring training schedule, I imagine the pitchers probably won't be ready on day one to go 100 pitches in a game. And so, you know, you're going to see bullpenning on a widespread basis, you know, maybe not necessarily having, uh, you know, a different pitcher every inning or anything like that. But if you have an expanded roster, you can afford to have your starter go just three or four innings to kind of ramp his workload up and use a lot of different relievers. And so I think you'll see a lot more reliance on bullpens. You'll see starting pitching numbers, I think, look very different this year. You'll have a lot fewer innings per start, um, and, and that'll be a big change. And 
so, you know, sometimes things like that, and that's that's how you start a whole new way of of, of strategy. And, and we've seen bullpenning become more and more of a thing. And teams may look at this year and say, well, it kind of worked for us in the shortened season. Maybe we'll uh, we'll we'll continue on with it in the future. Uh, Alex, do you have any thoughts about maybe being creative with the schedule or the postseason this year? I know baseball's talked about, um, you know, lots of doubleheaders obviously this year. They've talked about even doing seven-inning doubleheaders, maybe to, to so I guess so the games aren't you know super long on, on those days, or also they have enough pitchers for those those doubleheaders. Um, they've talked about extending the season into October and maybe having moving the playoffs to warmer weather cities or climate-controlled cities. Uh, should baseball be kind of tinkering and experimenting with things a little bit? Sometimes you know it seems like uh, you know like I said, uh, exigent circumstances like this uh, open the door for opportunities. Yeah, I think if they were ever going to experiment with expanded playoffs, this would be the year to do it. Um, you know, you, you've got a season where you don't get to play the full 162, so how do we really know who the best five teams and or and then you know, eventually four teams make the playoffs are? So let's, you know, let's experiment it out. Let's, you know, give the one and the two – or the first three seeds a bye, and then we'll have three wild card games, and then – you know, I don't know how it plays out after that, but if you wanted to do that this year, expand the playoffs and say, hey, because we got a shortened season, we don't know who the best players are, so we're going to have three wild card games and then six playoff teams in each division. You know, um, I, I'd be all for that. I think that'd be really cool, really interesting, just to see how it went for one year and then, um, you know, be you know preferably back to normal depending on what it looked like a year later. But um, I think it'd be a really good year to try a lot of different stuff because nobody's going to critique you too hard. If you don't win the world series and make the playoffs, nobody's going to look back and remember, Oh, the 2020 world series champion was who? Oh yeah. They had a, you know, it's, it's going to be an asterisk no matter what happens Win, lose draw. There's going to be an asterisk. And I think that's another thing that major league baseball needs to find a way to do is in 162 game season, there's no need for 20 inning games in July. So let's use this time when we know pitchers aren't ready to throw a full workload to figure out how we're going to end a game without tying after 13 innings, 14 innings, whatever it is. Um, that way we can get kids to, kids home on school nights um, in September or in May, whatever that may be. Um, you know, another good opportunity for some experimenting there. Yeah, that'd be interesting. When I hadn't thought about that or seen that written about, but yeah, maybe find a way to keep it from uh, any team from expending all their pitchers in a 15 inning game would be a good idea in a year like this. And I, I'm generally a, a person. I'm a purist. It doesn't like to see a lot of changes, but I, I agree. I think if you were going to do it, this would be the year to do it. At least try something, and if it's received well, like then great. Then maybe we can do this going forward. Maybe even an old you know fuddy duddy like me can be won over. Uh, and if it if it doesn't work, if it seems gimmicky and it's just like, well, we tried that uh, and, and it, we're not going to do that in the future. But you're right. I think it's kind of an asterisk year anyway. Um, so maybe try some different things. Uh, I don't generally like expanded playoffs. I get I get doing it this year, like you say, because it's not a 162 game schedule. You don't know necessarily who the best teams are. Maybe give some more teams a chance. Uh, so that could be kind of interesting as well. Um, the neutral site. World Series, I'm not totally against that. I think that is kind of interesting. I do worry that you won't like people go to the Super Bowl because it's a corporate event. It's a it's a must see, must you know, must be seen place to be. 
I don't know you you won't get that in the World Series so much, and it's seven games. You know, it can be up to seven games. I don't know if fans are going to make the trek to you know see our however many games you know they can make it to, uh, especially if it's a pretty far trip. So that's that's interesting, but it has the potential to look really embarrassing for baseball if only fifteen thousand people show up in Tampa Bay for a game between the Dodgers and the Red Sox. You know, so I don't know. I'm I'm willing to you know they're going to have to do something kind of different this year if the season goes into October. And I don't want to see the World Series in late November being played in Boston, or I guess it's not be possible, like New York or, you know, some cold weather city. But, um, you know, I don't, you know, it's, it's, I guess if you're going to try it, this will be the year to try it. I do worry that it's, it may be a, a maybe ill-conceived idea, but we'll see. And one thing yeah, I think is important, too, to, to point out really quick is that you have a built-in hedge for anything you want to do this year. And, mm-hmm. and that's where, you know, a couple of what I was throwing out there is, I'm typically like you, I'm a little bit of a purist, but because you have the shortened season, like you have a hedge on anything you want to do. Um, and I, I think baseball would be smart to not announce what they're going to do at the playoffs until they see how it plays out and then, you know, have a backup plan, but just don't say anything. And then if it's, you know, Toronto, who is a dome, or Houston, who is a dome, and then, you know, the Dodgers or the Diamondbacks, who have a dome, or whoever it may be, like you would never have to announce what your plan was and then be laughed at. You could just have your backup plan in your pocket, whatever it is, and then let it play out to see who those teams are. And if it's two teams where you can play a World Series, well, then play it there. Like nothing ever changed. And if it's, like you said, if it's Boston and the New York Mets, okay, well, hey, we're going to play this one in Miami. So mm-hmm. everybody, let's go south. So um, I think they've they've got options in that regard. Yeah. You know, we mentioned earlier that the there there are reports that they're going to expand rosters to 29. Uh, just real quick, Alex, who do you think is on kind of on the bubble that that would really that would really benefit from having expanded rosters at least for the first month of the season? Uh, I feel like Bubba and Brett Phillips are both out of options, if I remember correctly. So yep. um, that could save one of them potentially from getting axed. Um, while also allowing the Royals to keep Hunter Dozier and Alex Gordon and Solaire. Um, so, you know, that could potentially save one and allow a guy like Eric Mejia to make the roster because he plays everywhere, um, as well as potentially, oh man, who was there, Chris Owings? They sent Matt Reynolds. It, it could allow a guy like Matt Reynolds to stay on the roster yeah. a little bit longer because he looked like he was getting ready to get cut. Um, I don't know, outside of Brady Singer, I don't know that this helps any prospects in terms of, hey, you weren't going to make the opening day roster before this, but now you might. Um, Singer might be the only one, in my opinion, because I don't think Nick Heath was going to make it anyway, and I still well, don't think he'll make it. Yeah, Heath was, um, he was already assigned to minor league camp. So, right, yeah. so I don't think this helps him because, because of all the other outfielders we talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, but... I don't think Tillo or Zuber were going to start the year in Kansas City, and I still don't think this helps them. I think it would help a guy like if they brought Eric Skoglin back on a minor league deal, I think it would help him or guys like him. So um, nothing huge except for maybe the chances Brady Singer makes the roster. Yeah. Yeah, I thought maybe also Josh Stalman. I thought he had a really good spring, and I thought he deserved to make the team, but I thought there was a little bit of a numbers game with some other guys in front of him that maybe would – push him off the roster but if they expanded to 29 i think he could he'd have a pretty good chance of making the team at that point uh sean is there anyone you kind of want to highlight as could benefit from an expanded roster um chance adams 
Um, he's on the forty man. Uh, played. I mean, had some time with the Yankees. Was a, I thought he was a decent prospect um, back kind of when he converted from reliever to starter. I kind of fell off a bit, but yeah, Chance Adams is a good one. I still think Nick Heath. It's a good one, too. I know you guys mentioned that he'd been uh, assigned to minor league camp, but, I mean, he'll, I think, think at 29, I mean, he's going to be a guy that's going to get a shot. Maybe not opening day, but I think his stock went up as far as being on the major league roster. Um, maybe Jason Guzman, if they want to have one of those, because he's also on the 40-man, the if they want one of those guys, um, just kind of the utility type. And then, yeah, I mean, now they've got – what I think right now I'm looking one, two, three, they've got five outfielders on the 40 man. Um, and that's excluding anybody that can also play outfield like Mitt, like wit. Um, and it's Gordon, Heath, Phillips, Solaire and Starling. So, I mean, maybe if Heath doesn't, but all four of those guys are going to be on the opening day roster. Um, and it's a function of, do they want to balance between having another infielder or a couple extra pitchers, um, or, promoting someone like Nick Heath. So I think Heath, his stock is up a bunch. I think um, Chance Adams' stock went up a bunch. And then same thing with um, Stephen Woods Jr., the Rule 5 pick. Um, I, I don't remember how he did. Gosh, spring training feels like it was so long ago, the whole <laughs> however many days it was. And I don't even remember how good or bad Wood was doing in it. But, well, um, he, had, his, he, had, he had some injuries, I think. Uh, okay. So I think he was okay. a good candidate to start the year on the injured list. But okay. Uh, okay. So, yeah, I don't know if we'll see a whole lot of him this year. But, but yeah, we'll see. I mean, the, the – if if they did, I don't know how long. It sounds like just for the first month they'll have twenty nine. You know, but if you if he oh, was yeah. healthy or able to get healthy by opening day, it seems like that 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 would allow them to carry him a little bit more than they yeah. would in the past. So, but yeah, Nick yeah. Heath will be interesting. I think just in the Terrence Gore role, except he, you know Heath can probably hit a little bit more than than Gore could. So I you know it'd yeah. be interesting to say if they kept him in that kind of role. Uh, if if Matheny wants to run a little bit like Ned Yost did, but uh, yeah, this was some good names. So we'll. Well, hopefully we'll get a chance to see some of those players actually make a roster and get in some opening day games before too long. One player who it looks like he's going to make the team, I mean, they haven't officially announced anything yet, but uh, they did add Trevor Rosenthal to the Major League roster. Uh, Rosenthal looked pretty impressive in spring training. He had five shutout innings with nine strikeouts to no walks. Uh, he did have an opt-out of his contract on March 26th. The Royals went ahead and added him to the roster. Uh, Alex what do you expect of Trevor Rosenthal, and how do you think he looked so far in camp? I thought he looked incredible in, in terms of what I expected from him. Um, I, I don't remember specifically. I You may have just mentioned it, and I have already forgotten um, the injury he was coming off of. Um, but I just, you know, relievers, once they kind of fall off a cliff, they don't always make that comeback. Like Ryan Madsen, remember him in the during the playoff run. Mm-hmm. He was kind of that rare guy that, you know, that, that everything Dayton Moore touched turned to gold where you get a reliever out of his prime. He used to be really good. They come back. They're really good again. They just don't always seem to bounce back that way. And Trevor Rosenthal looked, looked like he was like 24 again um, this spring. So uh, really, really excited about whatever he's going to bring to the table when baseball gets started again. Um, and I, I think uh, Patrick Brennan tweeted something like, the Royals were the only team in Major League Baseball, or maybe one of three teams, to have no 100-mile-an-hour pitches last year. Huh. And Trevor Rosenthal and Josh Stamont combined to throw, like, eight in spring training. So, um, man, you know, that's some much-needed velocity that could potentially be added to that uh, bullpen this this summer. So uh, I am really excited to see if he can maintain that health and that velocity throughout the season. 
Yeah, he had Tommy John surgery in 2017, missed the entire 2018 season. So last year was his first year back, and he was kind of a mess uh, with a 13.50 ERA. He gave up 26 walks in just 15 and a third innings. Uh, but Sean, you know, Mike Matheny, right before things ended in spring training, he would not totally commit to the idea of Ian Kennedy being the closer. So I'm wondering if, you know, Rosenthal closed for him in St. Louis, uh, if maybe he's keeping the door open for Rosenthal to be his closer this year. Yeah, I, I literally never thought about that, but that's a really good point. Um, there is that kind of uh, home – We in finance, we call it home country bias. But, yeah, uh, there's a little bit of that. So um, I wonder I also if, if, there are, if they're envisioning – Lopez getting less time in the rotation and then Kennedy going back in some capacity. It'd be kind of weird because of how good he was in the uh, bullpen. But um, yeah, I mean, you're right. I mean, if Rosendahl looked as good as he did this spring and let's say three or four weeks in and Kennedy for, I think Kennedy fell off a bit too. I want to say uh, he, I'm pulling his stats up right now. I could have sworn his second half wasn't quite as good. So that's kind of the other thing is I wonder if, um, let me pull it up right here. I was thinking if they kind of ride him, his FIP in the second half. Uh, yeah. So 2.33 in the first, 3.81 in the second. Uh, obviously a good FIP in the first half. That's a league-ish average FIP in the second half. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm wondering if his, I wouldn't call them struggles, but his underperformance relative to his first half performance in last year might have them thinking like, okay, maybe we try Rosenthal. But I mean, again, you're talking about the closer on a team that's probably going to win, I don't know, 65, 70 ish games, if that. So it's, it's kind of like, you know, who wants the best seat on the Titanic in a way. So. <laughs> well, and I also wonder too, if, if, if my thing is just buying into the notion that like, you don't have to use your best reliever in the ninth inning in a safe yeah. situation all the yeah. time. Like you're just being, flexible and, and yeah like when you have a bad team you probably should be pretty flexible with your relievers and and if if Rosenthal is as good as we saw in spring training if Greg Holland who looked pretty uh impressive in spring training as well or at least effective if he's as kind of at least close to his old self uh, and they have Kennedy and maybe a guy like Josh Dahmer then I think you can really mix and match a little bit more and kind of just play uh the hot hand or maybe play matchups a little bit more and maybe they're just giving themselves some flexibility um, so that, that would be, I think, an encouraging sign to see if they don't kind of wed themselves to one guy getting the ninth inning every single time. So uh, it'd be nice to have some options, some better options than like Blaine Boyer and Brandon Maurer out there. So uh, we're definitely rooting for these guys, Rosenthal and Greg Holland, to be healthy and effective this year. Let's, uh, let's take a break. When we come back, we'll form our ultimate Royals rotation. We're back, and uh, we're going to do an exercise I saw on Twitter from uh, Carrington Harrison uh, on 610 Sports. You can listen to him on uh, the afternoons. And he wanted to see if you could build a Royals rotation for $15. You may have seen a variation of this game played with lots of other different uh, in different sports. But the, the kind of the, uh, the idea here is, is there's a grid of different Royals pitchers, all from 1990 to 2019. So we don't have any Paul Splitter for Dennis Leonard's on here. These are all kind of players from the last 20 years. And uh, you, the, the trick is to try to assemble your best rotation for $15 or less. So here's, here's, kind of, here's some of the, um, the values we have here. For the, for the $5 value, we have Kevin Apier, Zach Greinke, David Cohn, Brett Saberhagen, James Shields. In the $4 tier, we have Jordana Ventura, Danny Duffy, Mark Gubazal, Gilmesh, and Jose Rosado. 
In the $3 tier, Edison Valquez, Jason Vargas, Brad Keller, Irvin Santana, and Paul Bird. Oh, man, I remember the Paul Bird years. In the $2 tier, we have Jacob Junis, Ian Kennedy, Jeff Supon, Bruce Chen, Jeremy Guthrie. And in the bargain bin, $1 bin, we have Luke Hochaver, Brian Bannister, Kyle Davies, Jeremy Affelt, and Luis Mendoza. So, Alex, can you build your own Royals rotation for $15 with those tiers? Oh, yeah. Um, I actually spent way more time on this than I should have, uh, <laughs> and I really don't know why, other than I thought it was absolutely more entertaining than I ever really thought it was going to be. Um, and so when I was doing this, I, I tweeted mine out. Um, a, I just want to point out, like, Jeremy Offelt made 33 starts in his career as a Royal. Luis Mendoza made 42. And then Paul Bird and Irvin Santana were here for one year. So it looks like uh, David Lesky helped Carrington with this, but I didn't try to build my own grid. But, man, the Royals must be hurting for starting pitching if Jeremy Offelt and Paul Bird made this list because they made less than 35 collective starts, you know, between, you know, in each other. Like, my goodness. But the rotation I came up with, I went with Luke Hochaver and Brian Bannister out of the bargain bin, um, mostly because I don't think they were as bad as people remember. Like, Luke Hochaver wasn't good, but he was – he just didn't live up to the number one overall pick, which I think makes people forget that he wasn't awful. Um, he did have you know, a two-win season and then another season where he was worth 1.7 wins and only 17 starts. He, I'm assuming he got hurt in 2010. I don't remember 2010, to be honest with you. But um, between 2010 and 2011, he was absolutely serviceable. Um, and then Brian Bannister was basically the same way for me where – he had two two-win seasons, and he has been, um, from everything I've heard, a really good coach in the Red Sox organization. So I brought him back because he was only a dollar. I also went with Zach Granke um, because he, you know, I don't think he needs defending. But that was five bucks. I went with Kevin Apier for five bucks because I feel like most people don't realize that he is probably the best collective pitcher in the history of the Royals organization um, in terms of the longevity of his career here and his accomplishments. And then I went with Irvin Santana for $3 to round out my rotation. Irvin Santana for his career has been very, very incredibly average, but that year he was with the Royals in 2013. He was absolutely incredible. In fact, if you look at F war, it was his, well, he had one, two, three, four. He's only had four seasons in his career better than that and he's been pitching since 2005 so um he was really really good at coffin stadium and so i brought him back as my number three there so uh to round up my rotation i had kevin apier zach granke Irvin santana luke hochaver and brian bannister uh in the playoffs i'll move hochaver to the bullpen and have a really really solid top of my rotation there all right that's a pretty good rotation uh john which way did you go so I don't you, you you have to pick Grinky uh, as Alex nailed it. Um, for my money, the best pitcher in Royals history. Um, even though he didn't quite have a longevity, he only pitched 210 games with the Royals. 
as opposed to guys like you know Gubizal or Splitorf who pitch forever. Um, but for my money on a start by start basis, really, I think uh, Grinky is the best pitcher in Royals history. Um, so he's my number one. Spent five bucks on him. Uh, also splurged. Spent five bucks on Kevin Apier, the all time uh, WAR leader in pitchers for the Royals. Um, my guess is that's not going to be broken anytime soon. Obviously, um, got to get up to almost forty-two, and I don't. And there's nobody particularly close other than Duffy. And then Duffy's at I think fourteen career wins. It looks like so he's, you know, thirty-three uh, percent of the way there almost. Um, and then so that was my so I'm ten dollars in the hole here. And then I went with Santana. Um, yeah, Alex nailed it too. Santana is way better than I think he gets credit for. Um, we didn't have him for that long, but I I really liked him, and uh, he's up there as well. What was uh, sorry? I just had him here. Oh, Santana. Yeah. Okay. Never mind. Uh, that was my three dollar one, and then I just scooped up since I'm at I was at thirteen bucks. I just scooped up a couple back end guys. Um, Hochever and Bannister, are where I went with for a, a buck each. Uh, Hochever kind of gets like another guy with another bad rap, uh, but he was fine I, a little watered down because he was you know the first overall pick um but still had an okay career and i you know i'm just looking for a back-end guy and then same thing with banister um i really like banny and you know if i can get daytime banny too now we're really talking <laughs> now now i've got a couple aces on the staff there if i get daytime banny so so my my inclination was to kind of go the same route you guys went with with going kind of Kind of like I do in fantasy baseball, I kind of pay top dollar for like the elite guys, and then I get a bunch of like one dollar guys. Uh, but I think that left me with Apier and Granky, and then like a, like three, you know, a couple one or two dollar guys I didn't really like that much. So I changed it up a little bit. Um, I went with Kevin Apier too, just because he is. I, I agree with Alex; he's the best pitcher in franchise history. He's also just a personal favorite of mine. I, I when I was in high school, I pitched, I tried to pitch just like him. Uh, he, I, he was just a guy that I rooted for his entire career. He was in his prime when I was like in high school. So like, you know, that, I think that's a guy usually you have like an affinity for. So he's my $5 guy. I went with a $4 guy in Mark Gubazaw. Cause I think he is pretty criminally underrated in franchise history in his 1988 season. He was a seven, uh, seven and a half war pitcher, 120 games as an all-star. I think he was consistently one of the best ground ball pitchers in franchise history and he kind of remade himself from like a strikeout pitcher early in his career to when, once his kind of he kind of lost his zip on his fastball, he turned into like a real good uh, control artist and I think led the league in, in fewest walks per innings uh, later on in his career. So I think he's very versatile in that in that respect. Has some big game experience in the World Series. So I have Gooby as my four dollar player. I went down in the three dollar uh, tier. I liked Irv, but I went with Paul Bird, even though Alex uh, Alex is dismissive of Paul Bird. Because he was like the one bright spot in like ten bad years of Royals pitching, he was a six-win pitcher in that one year he was here. He won seventeen games, really had a shot at twenty that year for a team that had no business having a twenty-game winner. Uh, and he did it with just like like pure guts and mocks. I mean, he did not have good stuff. Uh, if you ever saw him pitch, he was like an old school, like looked like an accountant, just kind of threw junk up there, and guys had trouble squaring up on it, and he just. Found a way to make that work for a year at least. Uh, so he's my $3 guy. In the $2 pen, I have Jeff Supon, who I think is another kind of underrated guy. Uh, just because he was, you know, you look at his numbers, they look unimpressive because of his wins and his ERA. But that was a silly ball era, and that was a, he was pitching on a team that was terrible. And so he was quite a bit, you know, he's like, uh, I think, 110 ERA plus around that time. 
Uh, so, you know, he's better than league average, I think, which I think is probably better than like a guy like Bruce Chen or even Jeremy Guthrie, who we remember fondly for his postseason, but it was actually kind of a league on, a, a little bit below average as a starter in his time. So I'll go with Soup in the $2 tier. And in the bargain bin, I'll take uh, Brian Bannister, just like you guys. I have an affinity for him. I think he's a smart guy. His rookie season was, was really good. He kind of fell off after that, but um, at his best, he was a pretty solid pitcher who it looked like he had a bright future ahead of him. And I think uh, and I think he'd, he'd be a nice fifth starter, I think, in that kind of situation. So so those are our Royals rotations. You can uh, We'll post up uh, Car- uh, Carrington's tweet, and you can kind of figure out your own rotation as well. Just a fun little game to play. We got, we're playing all sorts of fun games on our, our site because we don't have a lot of uh, real games to talk about, so uh, definitely check that out uh, either on our site or on Carrington's Twitter feed. Uh, we'll wrap it up with our Royals, Royals Review reviews. Uh, Alex, you're our guest today, so uh, what would you like to, to share with the audience today? You know, so a long time ago, back in high school and college, a long time ago, a few years ago, um, I was a huge Walking Dead fan. I watched religiously every Sunday night the new Walking Dead episodes. Um, and I quit in the middle of season seven, right at the end of season seven, maybe season eight, because it was just awful. It had gotten <laughs> slow. It wasn't fun to watch anymore. And so I quit watching. Well, recently I went back and I started rewatching from season one on. And I'm in the middle of season five right now. And I, and I went and looked up the reviews um, because I, I realized they're still going live every Sunday and they're on season 10. So the reviews for season six are pretty bad, but not that, not terrible. Season seven and eight were just awful. And then seasons nine and 10 are getting the best reviews of any seasons in the history of the show. Better than even season five, which like 21 million people watch season five or something like that. So I am going to give a shout out to The Walking Dead. Apparently I have fixed something. I have talked to people who still watch religiously who say seasons 9 and 10 are, in fact, the best seasons in the history of the show. I'm going to give it another chance. I am, like I said, I'm about halfway through season 5 right now, and I am going to catch myself all the way back up through season 10 as quickly as possible. Um, it sounds like, you know, they, they had a terrible run there in the middle with that Negan villain they had, but it sounds like they've revamped themselves and, and recreated themselves a little bit. And I've heard there is, are some massive plot twists that are coming and you know connecting the beginning of the sh- of the series um, to the end here. So I'm really looking forward to it. But um, in case you gave up on The Walking Dead, apparently seasons nine and ten have been just fantastic. And it seems <laughs> we can probably relate more to The Walking Dead now than we ever before. Now that we're all kind of quarantined and yeah. with our supply uh, supplies perhaps in danger. <laughs> uh, Sean, what do you got for us this week? Um, I watched The Hunt. Um, and it was really good. I way better than I expected. Probably, uh, I mean, several times over, um, that and the Watchmen were two show, two things recently that I went in with, I wouldn't say zero, but kind of low and the Watchmen, I figured it was just going to be a rehash of the the movie. Um, but it was blew me away. And then same thing with the hunt. I, I figured it would just be a good fun-ish you know kind of action movie kind of like uh, the purge or something but uh, no it was really really good smart it's really funny um there's some pretty dang good plot to it i mean it's it's really really good it's way beyond just your typical action kind of hunting movie or whatever uh thing you want to put in something like the purge or the hunt or um 
the, oh gosh, uh, hostile stuff like that that are just like kind of like uh, chasing down people. Uh, so uh, yeah, the hunt was really, really good. I would recommend uh, checking it out. It's uh, fantastic. Okay, can you sketch it out for us a little bit without giving too much away? Um, yeah. So it is a bunch of. So it, the movie is known for being delayed because it was supposed to premiere. Basically, the premise of the movie is really, really uh, wealthy, rich folks um, kidnap um, poor people and they hunt them. And then, of course, you know, they give them weapons and then the poor people hunt them back, um, as, you know, you could probably figure out. Uh, The movie was mostly known because it came out, it was supposed to come out, I don't know when, but very, very soon around the time, well, afterwards, but it was supposed to come out Shortly after the El Paso and the other shooting that happened right around that time. Um, and so they delayed it. And so they kept pushing it, kept pushing it. And then with coronavirus and everything, I, uh, the studio just said, forget it. We'll just release it. Um, and it's available to stream. I think it's 20 bucks. We I found it in another way. Um, but it's fantastic movie. And yeah, I mean, it's it's great. So check it out. Check out The Hunt. It sounds like we've all been, we have had a lot of time to watch things. Uh, so I've been watching uh, Devs on FX. Uh, it's uh, it's by Alex Garland, who is yeah. a novelist and director. He uh, wrote The Beach and later directed as well. Uh, directed Sunshine, which I know had, I've never seen, but I know it's had, it's a very polarizing film. Uh, One of then, my favorites. Yeah. And, just, yeah. <laughs> and Ex Machina, which I, I loved Ex Machina. Uh, so anyway, he, now he's moved on to Devs on FX and it's uh it's about it stars Nick Offerman in a very un Nicker Offerman role. He's a kind of creepy head of a tech company uh kind of like Google or something like that who uh undertakes a m- very mysterious project and um uh and involves uh, in the murder of one of their employees and uh much of the plot revolves around um uh Sonoya Mizuno who I've seen her in a couple of different things. Um, and she's a great actress and I think one of the most beautiful women in Hollywood. But she, uh, and they dress her down in this. They don't, they kind of make her look like a, a techie nerd. But she, uh, she pursues the murder because she doesn't feel it was a murder or it's portrayed as a suicide and she doesn't believe it's a suicide. She believes it was actually a murder. Uh, but there's a lot of really deeper themes of uh, fate and time travel a little bit uh, and predestination. And it's, it's kind of just getting started. I think the first couple episodes have me hooked and, and we'll see where the season goes. Uh, but, uh, I'm, I'm in, I'm all in so far and it's, it's, uh, it's, it's very, uh, mysterious and moody. Uh, the soundtrack is, I think really good at times, a little overwhelming at other times, but it's, it's a really interesting, it's unlike a lot of shows that are on TV right now. And I think it's at least worth checking out if it's not your thing. Uh, you can bail, but uh, I think I'll at least check out an episode or two. Just as, if yeah. nothing more, to see Nick Offerman with long hair acting creepy. But I've I've seen previews for it, and FX has a fairly good track record too mm-hmm. to begin with. So I, I'm thinking about checking it out. But I just it's 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 on it's on my list, but kind of in the back. But yeah. if you think it's maybe I'll bump it up, then I love Alex Garland. Yeah, and it's a little slow moving too. And I, but I just love like anything dealing with tech. I, I'm kind of I'll kind of tune into it and things. Themes around fate and predestination are always kind of a, a, a something I'll tune into as well. So, uh, you liked uh, you liked Annihilation, didn't you? That's not Alex. Garland. No, uh, I think it is actually, but I have not seen Annihilation. Okay, uh, never mind. Did, so. I, I thought it was terrible. I thought I remember we discussed it on the site once, and like everybody loved it, and I was like, oh, I thought that movie stunk. Oh well. So uh, let me see if he did because I I thought I saw that he did. He did. Yeah. Uh, 
He, I know he did. Yeah. Okay. I bet you. I bet you Hokias likes it. So everybody <laughs> go see that Hokias said it's a bad movie. Yeah. Well, let us know what you've been watching because I think we could all probably use a few uh, more shows to watch. Uh, uh, and uh, you know, I'll definitely take more recommendations at this point. But uh, yeah, I want to add real quick. Netflix needs to be able. You need to be able to share your list with Netflix. That's a very good idea that you just prompted me to think of. So yes, I think you should be able to share your Netflix. Oh, you list, used to be right? able to, back when it was a CD service, DVD service, CDs, oh. DVD service. Uh, you used to be able to, and then I think they got oh, rid of it. I don't know if because of privacy concerns or they didn't want huh. people didn't really want. People didn't really want other people to know they're maybe looking, you know, checking out dirty movies or something. I don't know, but yeah, uh, they used to be able because me and a buddy used to actually recommend stuff, and then they they stopped uh, offering that. So uh, I did want to mention real quick: should do we need to talk about Tiger King? <laughs> have we all seen Tiger King? Yeah, uh, we. I mean, we don't have to talk about it. I don't know if we need to talk about it, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think we've seen it. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll save. We'll say that for another time because I think Hokias might be writing something about that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. yeah, we'll see. Well, that'll do it for this, us this week. Uh, I want to thank again Alex and Sean for being on, and uh, thanks to our readers and listeners for visiting our site, and we'll talk to you next time. Hey!